1 Corinthians chapter 13, reading at verse 1. The way of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Over these Easter weeks, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13 last week um, and this week, which is all about the, the love, the love of Jesus that we have just sung about that brought him to earth and to the cross and the love that he will also grow in the hearts of his people. Um, so let me, let me pray and then we'll look at this great chapter again together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time together this morning that we have to look at your word. We thank you for these words. And we pray that through them, you would do your work in our lives. Lord, however we come this morning, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would shape us more and more for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, imagine um, a friend is talking to you about their holidays. They've been staying with relatives for a month in Somerset. And they're talking to you and they say, do you know, that church that they go to is fantastic. We were only there for a month, but I have to say, it was a little bit like a foretaste of heaven. Now, I wonder what you would think they meant by that. Maybe that the church had a beautiful building in a picturesque spot. Or that the, the music was, um, was just the way they like it. Or that the sermons were really short. Or that there seemed in the services to be a touch of the supernatural. Well, the big point of 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is the true mark of spiritual maturity and the true foretaste of heaven. It's not how the Corinthians saw it. They had been very hung up on things that were more outwardly impressive. Things like eloquent leaders, sophisticated wisdom and knowledge, spectacular spiritual gifts. But this, in this letter, Paul is writing to set the record straight. He says that without love, all those other services and gifts 
It's worthless. It's what we saw last week, that the person can understand all mysteries or have the most profound experiences or hand over all their possessions to feed the poor or even lay down their life and have that be worth nothing without love, neither pleasing to God nor useful to anybody else. And the reason that love is so important, the reason that love has this um, indispensable place and the reason it's the true mark of maturity is that love lasts. That's the reason that Paul explains. Love lasts. All those other gifts, they will pass away. When, when Jesus returns and we see God face to face, all those other things will pass away, but love will not. Love lasts, because in the end we will live in eternity with the God who is himself love. And we will be transformed into people of perfect love if we're trusting in Jesus. And so heaven will be a world of love. And therefore, if you want to be truly advanced now, uh, mature now, if you want to get a foretaste of that future, then live a life of love and be a church of love. That's what Paul is saying in this chapter, which is it's quite a challenge for us, isn't it? As we read these words about love, we're bound to ask, is this me? As each of us reads this, we're bound to think about ourselves and ask, am I marked by this love? Because I, I do try to serve other people, but do I do that in a loving way? And do I do that motivated by love, or is it something else that I'm trying to get out of it? We're also bound to ask, is this us? Primarily, Paul is addressing the Corinthians as a whole congregation. A lot of what he talks about is how they're treating one another. And so as charmers, all together, as we read 1 Corinthians 13, we're bound to ask whether we are marked by this love. Is this the maturity and progress that in our heart of hearts we long to see in ourselves as a church? It's a challenging passage. But it's also wonderfully inviting because the God who stands behind this passage is the God of love and he will grow in us this love. If only we will listen to him and follow him and put ourselves into his hands. It's not just a rebuke, this chapter. It's an offer, an offer that God will grow in us the kinds of things that Paul describes here. He is willing to grant us that foretaste of heaven as we become more and more people of love and a church of love. If you're not yet a convinced Christian, maybe you're here and you're still thinking things through, I wonder if you've ever quite understood the offer that Jesus is making to you in quite these terms. That on our own, the Bible says that none of us are particularly lovely or lovable people. That's true of all of us. But in his great love, Jesus Christ became a man and laid down his life in order that he might forgive our lovelessness and then change our lovelessness. So if you were to put your trust in Jesus this afternoon, this is the direction. 1 Corinthians 13 is the direction that he would move your life in. I wonder if that's something you would say that you you want. But the thing is, it's all very well for us to talk about this love. We've seen all this. What is love? What is love? It's all very well for Paul to exalt love as the mark of Christian maturity, but what does he actually mean? What is love? It's time to get specific. 
Because very often when we use this word love, we're not specific. It's a vague word, isn't it? Love is vague. Love is sentimental. Love is in the eye of the beholder. You could um, talk about love in your Christian manifesto and everybody would be in favor of it, but nobody would quite know what you were promising. And so from the importance of love last week, we come now to the middle paragraph of the chapter where we get a portrait of what love is. And you'll see from the back of the notice sheets, I I couldn't think of a way of summing up what Paul says, so I I just... um, typed it out again in a, in a way that it's broken down though, and hopefully it will help us to work through this portrait of love that Paul gives us. However, before we get into that, it'll be helpful very quickly to note three quick things from the wider context about what love is not. Very quickly, first, love is not just soft. It's very important to learn from Paul's whole approach in 1 Corinthians that love is not just soft. This is not an inoffensive letter. Paul addresses very directly the problems that there were in the church. In in chapter 3, he says they're behaving like a load of children. In chapter 4, he threatens to come and visit them and bang some heads together. In chapter 5, he says they should be thoroughly ashamed of themselves. When this was originally read out in the congregation, I guess by the time they got to chapter 13, there would have been some pretty red faces in the room. As Paul says, love is patient and kind, subtext, unlike you. Love does not envy or boast like you've been doing. Love is not arrogant or rude like you are. That is how the Corinthians would have heard this. And we need to understand that because they're they're lovely words, but love is not just soft. It's easy for us to slip into thinking that anything that rocks the boat or that puts people's noses out of joint in any way is automatically unloving. But that's not true. Think about this letter. Think about the example of Jesus in his life, forever getting into arguments with different people. And practically, this important lesson, I guess uh, many of us will have family members or, or friends, maybe even friends in church, who are right in the middle of making bad decisions and doing the wrong thing. And we don't want to talk to them about it. But that is not love. Um, it is not the same thing to keep the peace. That is, that, that is not always love. Now, of course, we, we need to be sensitive and pick our moments and be as warm and tactful as we can. But this chapter shows us that love, whatever it is, is not just soft Secondly, uh, love is not just a matter of feelings. Often, I guess in our wider culture, you get that impression that love is a feeling. It comes and goes. But as Paul defines love here, it's not just a matter of feelings. Just look very quickly at verses 4 to 7. It involves action. Paul is not uh, talking about simply how they feel about one another in the church there. He's talking about how they act, how they treat one another. Love is seen in how we act. It's not just a matter of feelings. Well, then my hunch would be that as Christians, we understand that and and kind of accept that. Yeah, I know that. But what about the third thing then? That love is not just a matter of actions. Love is not just feelings, but feelings are not irrelevant. Often, Uh, In churches, people can do their duty, but with no great relish or affection for the people 
we do things because it's what we've always done, or because we'd feel bad letting other people down, or for whatever other personal reason we might have. But we don't do it gladly, and over time it, it can become a kind of drudgery, even if we wouldn't quite say that. Well, Paul is saying that's a problem. Even though we do our duty, even though we do serve others, that's not the same as love. Because we need to do the things that we do in a loving way and also motivated by a heart of love. And speaking personally, I'm not so sure that I would be as quick to accept that or understand that. Because, you know, surely if someone's done their bit, surely if someone has done what needed doing, isn't that enough? Well, Paul says, no, it's not. Remember verses 1 to 3. Love must mark our manner and our motive as well. So what is this love then? It's complicated. It's not just soft. It's not just a matter of feelings. It's not just a matter of actions. So what is it? Well, let's read again verses 4 to 7 and see the portrait that Paul paints for us. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is Paul's portrait of love. It's not a a kind of a, a conceptual definition so much as a practical description. And I propose, like I said, just to walk through it step by step. Let's uh, start off then. Love is patient and kind. Uh, Love means not being in such a hurry to get the job done that you end up getting cross with the people you're supposedly doing it for. I think um, the the internet and the car in front are uh, modern life's great challenges to patience. You know, when the, when the web page doesn't open instantly and you think, oh, there must, the whole network must be broken. Something's going wrong here. Um, but also in church, when people do things uh, more slowly than seems reasonable to you. When you've just got tired of how a person is, you know, you put up with them for a while, but your patience has run out. Or um, some of us are, are in small groups. Some of you are uh, small group leaders. And as small group leaders, um, I'm sure you'll have spiritual ambitions, hopes for the people that you're looking after. You want them, you want to help them. But sometimes people just won't help themselves. And it's really easy, isn't it, to lose patience, to get grumpy with people and to stop being kind. It's been said that, um, that vets have an easier job than doctors because vets are allowed to give up on their patients, whereas um, If you're a medic, you have to keep on trying. Well, that's how Jesus is with us. He doesn't give up on us. He keeps on trying. You know, we must be infuriating for him a lot of the time with our constantly recurring bouts of ingratitude and pride. But he keeps on bearing with us. He's so patient, he never gives up. He loves us. And so he is patient, he is kind. And that is something that as we experience it from him, we need to learn to pass on to other people in the way that we treat them. Moving on, uh, love 
doesn't envy or boast. The fact that we're here in church doesn't make us immune from the normal insecurities and envies, anxieties of life. We like to feel that we're keeping up with those around us in terms of material things, house, car, holidays, that kind of stuff, but also the other steps of progress through life that we want to be making. But the thing is, as Christians, we have a whole additional realm of stuff we can feel envious or proud about. So-and-so is so much more able and gifted than I am, and I, if I'm honest, I find that hard to live with. My Bible knowledge is quite a bit better than hers, I have to say. We have these other ways, additional ways of ordering ourselves vis-a-vis other people. But that is not a game that love plays. Love means being really glad when another person is, things are going well for them or when they're good at something. This um, particular issue seems to have been a big one in Corinth. Back in chapter 12, Paul addressed two groups of people in the congregation there. On the one hand, some of them were feeling useless. They would have looked around at others with envy, feeling insecure, thinking, I can't do the things that she does. I'm just not as useful as him. I'm not really sure I belong here. And it's just possible that there are people in Chalmers who feel a bit like that. Or on the other hand, uh, other people in the church in Corinth were feeling very proud about themselves. And they were boasting. I'm a lot more useful than she is. I've got a big role to play, much bigger than his role. I'm not really sure we need those others. And again, it's, it's just possible that there are people in Chalmers who feel a bit like that. But to both sets of people, Paul says, we're a body. And as parts of a body, we can't all be the same or do the same things, but we need each other. We need each other, not in spite of our differences, but because of them. Therefore, don't envy and don't boast, but love one another. We should gladly offer the strengths that we have but also leave room for others to offer theirs and show appreciation when they do. Third, love is not arrogant or rude. You get the uh, impression from reading the letter that these Corinthian Christians really thought of themselves as a cut above the other churches who were round about. There's a few places uh, in the letter where it's almost as if Paul has to remind them that those other Christians elsewhere, they are still the people of God, you know. You haven't left them behind completely. But also within the church, um, in chapter 11, Paul had addressed the way that they handled their communion services. Um, Christians have always had bread and wine, remembering the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus. But it seems that in the early church, they had that in the context of a, a meal for the whole congregation, a little bit like what we do from time to time. And some in the congregation there, those who were, were more wealthy, they were turning up with hampers from Valvona and Crowler and um, salads from Waitrose and um, others, those who were less well off, were either going hungry or else they were feeling humiliated. That's what Paul says in chapter 11. And the point here is that love wouldn't do that. Love would, in a humble, quiet way, make sure that everybody had enough and that nobody was feeling embarrassed. Love has that great concern for other people's feelings, 
even when those feelings are more sensitive than your feelings, or even when those feelings are more sensitive than you think is quite reasonable. And there's so much more that we could say here. Think about um, when Christians don't agree with one another. That's okay. Uh, we saw at the beginning that love isn't just soft. It's not, um, it's not the case that we have to pretend that everybody is right and everybody's okay all the time. Um, and that at all costs we just must avoid um, falling out. That, that's not love. But there is a loving way of disagreeing with someone. It means that you don't think less of them or turn against them. Or speak ill of them. Because that's arrogance. To think that the answer's obvious. And if someone doesn't see it my way, they must either be plain stupid or else pig-headed. Love means remembering how glad we are that God doesn't treat us like that. How glad we are that he doesn't hold against us every time that we've been wrong. Or had to change our minds. Love does not insist on its own way. That's a big one wherever you have more than one human being involved in a decision. Could be very simple things. Where are we going to go with friends? What are you going to watch with your family? But also in church, what songs will we sing? What will services feel like? What activities shall we uh, publicize? How should things be organized? And all of those things, there will be elements that come down to looking at the Bible and trying to work out what is right and wrong or what is worse or better. But inevitably also, there will be a great deal of human preference mixed in. Love means remembering that I I care more about the people involved than I do about seeing that my particular outcome is what happens. Love means remembering that my main aim is not getting my way, but their benefit. There's a lot, of, a lot of points here, and time runs on. But this portrait, it builds up. Love is not irritable or resentful. We can't always feel wonderfully warm towards other people. But when we are annoyed or hurt, we can help what we do about that, what we do with those feelings. Love means not nursing them. Love means putting them to one side as far as is possible. Because there's nothing constructive about uh, nursing a grudge or imagining the things we'd like to say. Love means either looking for a constructive way forward or else leaving those things with God and trying to move on. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That means that love doesn't laugh at every joke it hears in a way that lowers the standard of a friendship or an evening. Love means feeling bad when other people stumble in sin and not secretly feeling pleased because our relative standing has been enhanced. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is Paul's portrait of love. It isn't a neat and tidy definition. But by the end of it, I think we do know what he means. We know this love when we see it. And we know the absence of this love when we see that, especially in ourselves. And so 
like I said, this passage is really an invitation for us to examine again our own hearts and to ask again those questions. Is this me? Is this us? Is this what I wish Jesus would form and do within me? Is this the sort of progress, maturity that we as a church long to pursue most of all? Now, of course, uh, all of us are very much works in progress, aren't we? We look at this portrait of love, we'll all feel that we fall short. We always will. Uh, we always have to repent. This side, of, uh, this side of heaven, Paul's portrait of love, will never be fully us. But if it's nothing like us, and if it's habitually nothing like us, then that's a problem. Because this love is the mark of himself, his own character that God puts upon his people as they grow. And so it's a, it's a serious thing. We have to think, is this me? Is this us? It's a challenging passage. But it is also very inviting. 1, 1 Corinthians 13 is not, it's not simply a call to try harder. Because in actual fact, this love isn't something that we can muster up. It's something that comes from God. It is his own goodness. As it were, kind of flowing out from him. Transforming, influencing his people. Reshaping them. This love is what he offers to us. Fundamentally. If we are willing to put ourselves into his hands to follow where he is leading. Now, I guess um, for each of us, we'll have been struck and convicted by some different things in the chapter. Some of us are more prone, perhaps, to be envious or insecure. Others here, we know that we're more inclined to be brash or impatient. But the point of this chapter is that the Lord is willing to help us. That our love might be small and weak but his is not the point of him inspiring a chapter like this is not to catch us out it's not to rub our noses in our own shortcomings the point is to offer us the help to grow in this love that comes from him if only we will ask if only we will follow which i think i for one think is a pretty exciting prospect Because what would family life be like with more of this love? What would work life be like with more of this love? What would church life be like with more of this love? The answer is, it would be more like heaven. Which is where Paul, I think, would want us to finish up, looking forward to heaven. Because God has in store in the end for his people a perfect world of love. When we are transformed, when we are with him face to face. That is a world where verses 4 to 7 will fill all things and fill them entirely. And so the passage asks us again, are you looking forward to heaven? When you think of a world without strife and conflict... A world without envy or insecurity. A world without exploitation 
a world without love. Sorry, a world of love. A world of love like Jesus' love. And so a world that works in all the ways that this one sadly doesn't. When you think about the world of love that there will be when we are transformed and we are with God face to face, a world of love, do you long for that? Well, I'm afraid you'll need to wait for it. But there is a foretaste that we can have now as we ask that God would form this love in us more and more and as we pursue that as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this portrait of love. We confess that it's not us, it's not what we're like naturally. We thank you, Lord, most of all for the love of Jesus that led him to lay down his life to pay the price for our lovelessness. Lord, beyond that, we thank you for the promise of transformation, that this is what you will form in us as we live with you as our God. Lord, please help us. Please change us by the power of your Spirit. We long, Lord, in our heart of hearts, we do, to be people more like this and a church more like this until the day when that process of transformation is finished and we are with you forever in that world of love. Lord, we praise you for the prospect of that and we ask you now for a foretaste of it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.